Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Tipsy Tennis Podcast. I'm your host, Adam Borak, and this week we have an absolute banger. We, I have Progressive House DJ Rios on the scene. Yes, sir. 50 million streams across all platforms, and what a opportunity I have to dissect his brain. Yeah, man. Uh, his, uh, his father was his father is the owner of Long Beach Tennis Center grew up playing tennis uh, younger brother amazing tennis player as well Rios Zane Siddiqui has got the, the one-handed Roger backhand <laughs> trying <laughs> trying man um, but without further ado I want to introduce Zane Siddiqui aka Rios cheers man we call it the tipsy tennis podcast for a reason Yes, sir. Pleasure to be here, man. Thanks for having me. Yeah, super excited for this one. So, the first question I always ask my uh, my guests: How did you get started playing tennis? Yeah, so my dad um, played tennis his whole life. He was a pro tennis player. Worked at Sport Time for a very long time, um, just as like the general manager and like tournament director and stuff. Eventually, wanted up buying his own tennis club, but um, he was still working at Sport Time when I was born. So I was always playing like summer camps and doing lessons with him and stuff like that. Um, then played pretty competitively as a junior. Uh, quit tennis at around like, what was it? Maybe 13, 14, somewhere around that. Oh, that early. Yeah, to go pursue music. So that was like a, that was a thing. Yeah, that so was a thing. Very early on, music is something you really wanted to pursue, right? Yes and no. Like when I quit tennis, it was mostly because I was just so burned out. Like I was more looking forward to getting off the court and then going to like hang out with friends or make music or something like that. It was just too much, you know, it's too much tennis. So, um, but then what, what's funny is maybe like a year or two ago now is when I started playing tennis again mm -hmm. yeah. and, I'm, and I love it now. I'm so obsessed with it. It's like, when you do it on your own terms, tennis is absolutely incredible. Mm -hmm. So I'm, I've been loving it lately. You, so you, you stopped around like 13 years old. You got burned out. Was it, Did you feel like there was a lot of pressure at a very young age for you to be a competitive tennis player? What was it like your ranking, if you have, if you remember? you know? Well, it's funny. I looked this up not too long ago because I was curious. Because it's funny. I have like no recollection about this. <laughs> and I wish like I had like videos. Like I'm so curious to know like was I good? Like I don't even remember. Um, but... It was, I was number one in the East or like, no, like top 10 in the East Oh wow! in like boys 18s when I was like 14. So I think I quit like right around 14. Cause the other Holy funny thing, shit. dude, I, um, I played varsity for my high school mm -hmm. when I was still in middle school. So that was really funny too. That's so insane. yeah, it was weird. So I, I must've been around 14 or 15 actually now that I think about it. Um, and then I was playing up in boys 18s, mm -hmm. but honestly, like. In the grand scheme of things, compared to the people that I was playing against, like, I wasn't that good. Like, I didn't really mm -hmm. ever play any nationals or anything like that, you know. Um, probably did decent at sectionals, maybe, like, two rounds or something, mm -hmm. you know. But uh, mainly, I just played all the tournaments that my dad hosted at the tennis club. And it was a good time, man. It was a good time. How did your dad, uh, how did your dad take it when you decided to take a step away from tennis to pursue, you know, these other things? Well, you know what? It wasn't like a direct, I'm stopping tennis to go pursue music. It was more like I was just a kid and I was so over tennis. And I just happened to be like so involved with music at this time because the timing of it all is around the same. But it obviously takes time to get good at making music. 
So at this point, like I'm absolutely horrible at making music and I'm just doing it for fun. Mm-hmm. So I didn't really know like, oh, I'm going to be like a, a pro music producer or whatever down the line. It just was like, I just don't want to fucking play tennis anymore. Mm-hmm. So I winded up, um, uh, what's it called? Yeah, quit tennis, went to go do music. Um, and now I'm getting sidetracked and the brewski's hitting a little bit. So what was the main question again? Uh, just like how, how did your dad take it? when? Oh, when how did he take it? Back? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it's hard to remember exactly because it was long ago. I don't think he was that stoked about it. I think for him too, like his big thing was um, he wanted me to at least be able to play college tennis. That was like the big thing. Mm-hmm. A scholarship uh, or just yeah exactly yeah. especially you know him being an immigrant that's like every immigrant dream is like hey i want my kids to go to college and especially if they could do it you know through a scholarship or something so originally he wasn't stoked about that and then we'll get we'll maybe get down and, uh we'll talk about this a little bit later but <laughs> i wound up not even going to college or anything mm-hmm. so that was a whole other thing but um you know i think at the time you know he wasn't that stoked but he was like you know what like you're still young at this point in time, he was probably assuming, you know, maybe he'll go to college with his grades or something like that, mm-hmm. which wound up not happening either. But yeah. Did you feel like it was, uh, I feel like it's a little bit easier if you, if you're, if you take a step back away from tennis, but still pursuing something. Yeah. And I feel like he, he recognized that at least a little bit. I don't know. You know, at the time, like I was saying, it was just like, first of all, this was when I was like 14, probably. Yeah. So it's honestly just a little hard to remember. But he, um, I wasn't fully going into music at this time. I, I got lucky though because the thing is with music, I was seeing success like pretty early on, like even when I was in high school. Mm-hmm. So it was pretty easy, you know, that maybe a few years after I quit tennis, I was already seeing some success elsewhere. Mm-hmm. So it might probably made him feel a little bit better. Um, but yeah. What uh? So, what's the age difference between uh, your brother and you? He's three years younger than me, actually. That's just, that's the same. I'm three and a half between my brother and I. Uh, did, oh yeah. Yeah. Did uh, what was he doing during during that time? Like, what, what did he stay on the track, the tennis track, the entire time? Because no, no, he actually quit too. And maybe I'm wrong, but I feel like he may have quit early, earlier than me, or maybe right after me. You know what? It's just like. Tennis parents are notoriously, like, annoying and hard. Yep. And especially with him having his own facility and stuff, it was just not fun for either of us. Um, the other thing that didn't help, and not to make this, like, dark or anything, mm-hmm. but like, my parents got divorced around this time, too. Mm-hmm. So it's like whenever we did have to – first of all, we only saw my dad on the weekends, right? And as a kid, it's like you're in school all week. You want to hang out with your friends on the weekend. But, no, it's like you have to go to dad's, then you had to play tennis. So it's like we were – getting pulled away from doing like you know the fun stuff that little kids want to do mm-hmm. um which by the way let me add in hindsight i am glad that i got to play tennis all that way because you know at this age i feel like if i don't if i didn't have the experience i had dude i'd be horrible because like mm-hmm. my fitness and everything is so bad like i'm relying strictly on like like all the things i learned as a kid you know yeah but um he quit and then he got into it though a few years earlier than me so i think he started playing tennis two or three years earlier than I did, like coming back into it, mm-hmm. which is why he's disgusting. He's so good now. So good. He's currently number one in the East. Yeah. Yeah. He's ridiculous. Um, what? So w- you hear all the time, tennis is a mental game. What? Uh, how do you think your uh, mental approach to the game 
has shifted from being a top junior to weekend warrior, but you know, still playing at a pretty high level. Yeah. Nah, dude, it's so funny. I actually, I think now it's more important to really pay attention to the mental side of things. Cause I think when I was a little kid, I'm just relying on just raw energy and, you know, yeah. having that. But now like we, me and my cousin and, uh, Amani, my brother, we have a joke that like when I was a kid, like I was just so dumb. Like it was just hit everything as hard as you can, you mm-hmm. know? But now it's like, I just had a, a match this weekend and it was so crucial for me to think about like, number one, keeping your cool. And then also of course, like the importance of holding and then trying to break at certain times in the match to really get that lead. Cause like one thing I'm realizing lately is just the importance of scoreboard pressure, you yeah. know? Cause it's like, one of my favorite things to do lately is to actually, um, well, depending on who I'm playing, right? Like if they have a big serve, no, but if I'm playing somebody who's got like a solid serve, nothing insane, I actually like to receive first mm-hmm. because if I receive, if I'm able to break them right away, like before they're able to get warmed up fully and then I can hold that's two up. That's an early break. And then on top of that, um, I like to always serve after the changeover just because I'm not like that in shape, you know? So if I play like a grueler returning game and then I have to try to hold, like, dude, I'm just not that in shape anymore. So it's a lot harder for me to hold, you know? I would, I would have lost so many matches, but just the fact that I was able to just stay in the match, stay in the set, just because I was able to hold. Yeah, huge. Um, I was all, I, I was like, when I was a junior, I was like the notorious, my mom fucking hated it. I was the king of super tiebreakers i would <laughs> oh my god there are tournaments where there's like a uh like a, a couple times where i would get to like the finals of the tournament and every single match would be a super tiebreaker and my mom's blood pressure is just like yeah constantly through the roof because of that um but it's interesting that like i've never actually considered it like after a changeover would you rather be receiving or serving yeah and now that i think about it like i would rather start the changeover like serving after yeah the changeover but then that would mean that would mean I had I would have to start the match receiving. Yeah, which so like it comes at a downside, hundred yeah. percent. And then like even in those crucial uh, moments in the set, let's say it's four four, I would rather be serving, you yeah, know, than receiving at four four. Yeah, and so I you need to start the match, you know, serving on that. But it's so interesting you said that because I've never considered that before. Yeah, it's crazy, man. Speaking of super tiebreakers, I'm curious. Have you seen with like um, the new Grand Slams the rule where if it's yeah. six six and a five setter? goes to a super what do you think about that um i think it's there's a few things one i mean like u.s open and australian open had had tiebreakers before and yeah. it was only wimbledon and french open that you win until uh two sets or, yeah uh, two two games up right in the fifth set i think it's important to kind of, to keep the format especially in the grand slam somewhat consistent yeah which i think help helps the game and it helps it helps the players uh, the fact that they play a 10-point tiebreaker. They don't play a, a seven-point tiebreaker. Yeah, it's a super. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. And I was I was at the, I was actually at the U.S. Open watching uh, so like some qualifying matches, and there's this this, uh, this woman who was went up seven four seven five in the th- in the third set tiebreak, and then she started cheering. She's like, "Yeah!" She throws her racket up, and then the other the the girl on the other side starts screaming. He's like, "No, the match isn't over!" No because, way. Because she forgot that they play till ten. So I think it takes it's gonna take a little bit of time just yeah. to adjust. That's so funny, dude. It actually happened at the Australian Open this year, I think, too, with Danielle Collins. Same thing. Yeah, 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 yeah. dude. That's so funny. Um, 
but I think also adding, making it consistent and playing a tiebreaker instead of playing until like uh, two games. Yeah. Uh, up in tiebreak, like in in Grand Slams, they're all right. Re- if you get to a fifth set tiebreaker and you have to continue playing until you get two games up, like you're already in the fifth set, and it takes away from uh, it takes away from the game the next round. Right. If the person has to play a five, six hour match just because nobody can break each other, you know, that's not, so true. Not to mention the Isner Mahout match, you know, that that's going down in the history books. Yeah. Prime example. Um, but like, you know, they even said it, they're like, I'm the pros are annoyed that they have to, pl- they need to win by two games because like it, it just, they, they get so tired after it. And, and then they yeah. end up losing the next round because they can't, you know, keep up with it. So I, I like that it's consistent. It's inter- it's interesting that it's 10 points instead of seven. Um, but I, I like the consistency with, uh, you know, having all the, all the grand slams finally settling on like one, one, uh, one thing with that. Yeah, no, I agree. I also love it for the nostalgia reasons. Cause we went through super tiebreakers as juniors. Yeah. So seeing the pros have to battle it out in a super tiebreaker, it's like, damn like it's crazy yeah and those few extra points as well the fact that they played a 10 versus seven yeah it it gives like a you know the mini break isn't as you have a little bit more uh room to kind of get yourself back into the tiebreaker hell yeah no i completely agree i mean even for myself for someone that's so out of shape and you know is the weekend warrior like whenever if i lose the first set right especially lately we've been doing third set full set so it's like when you lose the first set, you got to just have that talk with yourself mentally and say, hey, if you want to win this match, you got to play for a long time. You got to play two more full sets, you know, so oh, it's man. like it, it's it's part of it. But you're absolutely right. Like you have to be able to try to fire on all cylinders, you know, whenever you can, because you don't know how long this match is actually going to be. Yeah. You have one bad service game and then they break and then they hold and then they win the set. And then I have to play a whole other set. It's like, oh, my God. I played a few weeks, uh, maybe like a couple months ago at this point. I played against Michael Cornelius at the. At I think Long I was Beach. watching you. you were wa- yeah, I, th- yeah, yeah, I was watching were- that match. I was there. Dude, I lost the first set. I was down, I think, like 4 2 in the second. Yeah. I won the second set. And at this point, the first set, I think, was like 7 5. Second set was 7 5. Yeah. And then we had to play a full third. And I, I even remember he. Uh, so we both took like a bathroom break in between the. Uh, right before the third set. And he's like. Thank God we're playing a third set because if we played a super tiebreaker, you would kick my ass. Yeah. And so the and he's super fit. Like this guy just Dude, he's a machine. He, he's crazy. He's a machine. He just doesn't stop. And towards the, in the third set, he just his strategy was just side to side. It oh yeah. It didn't have to be a good shot, but he was just moving me side to side. Yeah. And ended up becoming like a three hour match, or or almost three hours. You wanted to winning that one? No 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 i was so tight like after i won that second set i felt like i had so much momentum and i think it was like three two or something like that in the third set and he was uh he was serving and i, I was up love 30 mm-hmm. and i'm like all right this is this is this is the chance this yeah. is the opportunity i'm gonna break and then just ride this break until the end of the uh, end of the set i missed two returns in a row 30 all i'm like like yeah it gets away quick it's so quick and that, like, that's the crazy thing with tennis dude it's like just like you said, love 30, you're like, you can see the finish line. You yeah. know, you're like, okay, I break, I hold, it's over. And then you just miss two returns quick. And it's like, fuck, it's 30 all now, you know? Yeah. It's crazy, man. And, like, I can't even tell you, and you, you, I'm sure you, you've you experienced this so many times where, you're like, it, when you when you lose, like, these types of matches, the, the number one thought that always goes through my head is, I wish I could just relive that moment and just, you know, 
just put one return in and just play it out yeah you know, something like that and i remember every time i lost in a tournament i would be like ex- like i'd be i'd get pumped for the next one I'm like i just want to play the next tournament yeah i don't care if i lose i, I want to get back there again and give myself another opportunity to uh to try to win i want to ask you some questions about your music as well yeah sure man uh so the thing that really helped you break out was you won a, a remix contest yeah yes tell, tell us how, how how old are you when that happened and and what a, i want to say i was like 15 yeah yeah i think i was 15 yeah no that's literally that was my way to break through because before that you know at this time soundcloud was really popular for edm now not so much but um soundcloud excuse me soundcloud was the platform and um <clears throat> i was releasing like these crappy like half-assed remixes we call them bootlegs it's basically where mm-hmm. you take you know you take a song that you want to remix and you literally just cut out the drop and you put your own drop in there mm-hmm. it's it's so like half-assed but i have seen those before. yeah so but it, it, they could be fun and i was releasing them and they um they were getting like maybe 100 200 like plays nothing crazy at all and again i'm just in high school doing this as a hobby at this point i i love making music but mm-hmm. i'm like i don't know if i could do this full time like or mm-hmm. like or make it you know what i mean i'm kind of just in this limbo but i see this remix contest and um I actually, now that I remember, excuse me, I was working on another song at the time with my fiance, mm-hmm. um, who was my girlfriend at the time. We were working on this original, and this actually also helped propel me. So my like launch, I guess, into the scene was a lot of like little things mm-hmm. all added up, kind of like creating the perfect storm. But for this remix contest, I remember thinking, I'm like, okay, if I can win this remix contest, I also have the song coming out with my then girlfriend, now fiance. Um, I'm like, you know, this could be like a, a great start. And basically that it, it worked out the way I wanted it to. I wanted up winning the remix contest. The, uh, one of the guys who made the song that I remixed Borges, he liked helped put me on massively. Oh, nice. Yeah. He was like playing the song everywhere. And then he asked to, uh, collab on a song for ourselves that we put on a big label called spinning, wow. which at the time for me, like that was huge. Like that also really helped propel me. And the thing is with the music industry, at least with EDM, it's very actually i guess you can say this is for like a lot of things but it's just so network heavy so it's like when somebody sees that i have a collab with borges for example and i'm on spinning which is like this big label they like take note of it and then they reach out to me and say hey like you know do you want to work on this or do you want to work on this so it's like Mm -hmm. doing these things create a lot more opportunities and then it's like this massive snowball effect so that was like literally instrumental into uh in how i basically got launched into the scene what what attracted you to make like progressive house? I love all of EDM and I also love all of music. Like, it's it, me and uh, my fiance always joke about it. Like my Spotify playlist is just so funny because it'll be like a hip hop song, it'll be dubstep, it'll be like chill house music, then it'll be like progressive, it'll be like anything, you know. Even just regular pop songs like Ava Max, who just makes regular pop music. Like I love all of her music. Mm-hmm. At the time. I was making everything, like every genre of EDM, mainly uh, we call it Big Room and Progressive House. Those are like my two favorite genres to make. And um, I think for me, the remix that I made for Borges that won that remix contest for This Could Be Love, it happened to be Progressive House. And it had like this sort of unique flair at the time that I think helped like make me stick out a little bit. So it kind of just made sense to like make that a part of my brand. Over the years, I did incorporate Big Room. 
which is basically just like harder club music. It's less melodic. It's more like for the clubs, for the festivals. Yeah. So um, I've incorporated that into my sound over the years as well, just because I love it. And I just like high energy music. So mm-hmm. I think the picking progressive house just sort of naturally happened. Do you feel like any part of your tennis experience kind of bled into your music creation? No, that's a really interesting question. Probably subconsciously, I think so. Especially given my um, my like teenage years, which is really like what molded me um, into being the music producer I am today. Mm-hmm. Because during those times, that's when I was like getting over tennis and and going into music. So I think like having all that energy as a kid, having all being competitive all the time just naturally translated into just making as much music as i could and getting as good as possible disciplined as well yeah you need a lot of discipline yeah and i think at the time like as a kid when you're doing it for fun discipline's not really a factor but once i started to get traction and it started to be like a career then it's like okay like you have to be disciplined now like you have to make music on the days you don't want to or you have to like um i guess just make sure that you're always settled and you're always thinking ahead, you know, so that's where the discipline definitely comes into play for sure. Mm-hmm. Give us the highlights of like some of the, the venues and like the, the crowds that you've, you've yeah. brought in. So, um, my favorite venue by far is echo stage, which is in Washington, DC. I think it has maybe like a 5,000 person capacity, I think somewhere around there. Um, and it's iconic. Like a lot of big people have played there. And the reason I got to play there actually was I got to close for one of my personal idols, Hardwell. Nice. And he played there. Yeah. So that was like a dream come true for me. And that was still to this day. Like it was actually on New Year's Eve, which also helped because huge. what ha- dude on New That's Year's huge. Eve, even though the headliner like was done, it's New Year's Eve. So everyone just wants to party. So like yeah. the crowd that I had was insane. It was so awesome. Yeah. Um, I got to play some cool venues in Canada, Toronto, Edmonton. Um, I played, the name is slipping me. I played this really awesome club in Miami. It was so cool and futuristic looking. Um, but the other two like iconic ones that come to my head are terminal five in the city Mm -hmm. and then, um, space Ibiza, which I think actually closed down, but that was also in the city. Mm -hmm. Me being from, you know, long Island slash New York, I, I love it. Like, I absolutely love Long Island. I love New York. So Mm -hmm. anytime I get to play in the city, it's always like, um, it's always a pleasure, I guess. And I love just the New York City vibes, especially late night. Whenever I'm in the studio and I make something that is like super fresh to me and, you know, it's, it's basically encapsulating like what I love in music so much. And I did it and I made it. And I'm like, like that feeling is always the best. Like when, like right in the moment when it's fresh and no one's heard it yet. And you're just like, holy shit like i just made this well i think in regards to the mental space like tennis and making music is very similar in that regard because guess what when you're on the tennis court and you're out there battling it's just you and your own thoughts and it's the same thing in the studio you know like i don't have any help i don't have anyone else guiding me it's literally just me and my thoughts so it's like you know the physical aspect is obviously night and day it's completely different but the mental aspect is is similar in that regard it's like it's just you you know you have to problem solve in the moment and you know, I think there's a lot of similarities there. How often do you feel doubt even now? Nowadays? Oh, all the time. All the time? Yeah. I mean, I think that's just normal. I think, like, learning to deal with the doubt um, and almost knowing that it's a part of the process has helped me, like, tremendously. Um, because it's almost like 
if there's ever any doubt, whether it be on the tennis court or if it's in the studio, I know that it's just a part of the process, you know? Next question, you, you mentioned like growing up in New York. We're so spoiled to have the U.S. Open in our backyard that comes to us every single year. Do you go a lot to U.S. Open each year? I, yeah, now I do. Now, you now do. I'm obsessed with it. Um, you know, as a kid, like we used to go like during summer camp, we'd bring all the kids there, especially to Quali since it was free, like yeah. fan week. Yeah. You know, always bring all the kids there. Um, and then, yeah, as I grew up and was getting back into tennis, now I'm absolutely obsessed with it. Now I go there. I make it like a thing. When you go, mm-hmm. do you like to get tickets for Arthur Ashe or do you get tickets for like one of the other stadiums? Fuck Arthur Ashe tickets. No way. Fuck them. <laughs> Why? They're Why a waste that? of fucking time and money. <laughs> Unless you're getting like quarterfinals and on, the matches. Oh, that's so true. Like in the be- because here's the thing in the, in the beginning rounds in the first week, you have Nadal against some fucking qualifier. Yeah. That yeah. you know he's gonna and you and you're gonna sit you know so far away you could barely even see the ball, versus two two guys that are like like scrapping it out on the on the outside courts and you get to sit yes you're so close that you could practically touch him so i i never the only times i buy arthur ash tickets and it's actually this is a little trick for anybody who's going planning on going to the u.s open especially in the early rounds because nobody wants to buy arthur ash tickets yeah arthur ash tickets are cheaper than grounds passes no way and so you'll pay like the prices now are outrageous you'll pay like 70 bucks for a grounds pass versus like nosebleed Arthur Ashe ticket for let's say 50 bucks the Arthur Ashe ticket gets you into the grounds yeah and, and you can go to the nosebleeds if you, if want, you want to, to for to. some reason but and you know always try to sneak down I, I definitely have done my fair share of of sneaking around especially when I was a ball boy well funny thing you mentioned about sneaking around so I was looking to see so I just got reminded we we bought tickets for grandstand Mm-hmm. Because Grandstand, you can get to Louis Armstrong, but like in the, the free section of Louis Armstrong. Yeah. And this was early on in the tournament. So we were watching uh, Berrettini play some French guy. And speaking of sneaking, we did this not realizing, but we were right behind Berrettini's team in Grandstand. Mm-hmm. So like, like right there, like the row right in front of us was Berrettini's coach and like his friends and family. So we're like, oh, this is sick. Later that night, we went to go watch uh, Tommy Paul and Corda. Mm. They were on grandstand. And we went to go to our seats, and we're like, wait, why are these people in our seats? We realized that we, like, read the tickets wrong, and we were, like, way back there. But, like, (laughs) we genuinely thought we were there. So it was funny because I guess because it was such an early match, those people that had those tickets, they never showed up, Mm -hmm. like, for the Berrettini match at least. So we were right there. I like, I went to that match as well. Did you really? I was watching it. It was uh, four sets. Uh, the guy had like a ponytail, right? Or like long hair. That yeah, he like... played with a Technifiber. Yes. That's what I remember. Yeah, I was watching. Wait, you were there? Yeah, That's I so have, funny. I have a reel with uh, some highlights from that match. Did we see each other at the US Open? I don't think so. I saw Mark. Oh, really? I ran into Mark and... Uh... I think I ran into Mark during qualies. Yeah. 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 Me too. That's funny, yeah. I love going to qualies too, just watching the people practice more than anything. Like, mm-hmm. of course, you'll, you'll get some qualifier bangers, but I love watching people practice too. Mm-hmm. I was on a, I was at Qualies and freaking uh, Sabalenka was practicing on one of the outside courts. Oh really? Like right there. And at the time, nobody was watching her. Yeah. And at the time, she she was even she just won Australian Open, obviously. And then even at the time, I think she was the second seed. Wow. And, she, and no, and I'm so mad that I didn't get a I didn't wait around and get a photo with her. Yeah. Or like something like that. 
because nobody was there. That's crazy. She was just incognito practicing on the outside courts. The last day of qualies is probably as intense as like the finals of the U.S. Open because yeah. for these players, it's like win and in, make it or break it moments because the the payouts between third round qualies and first round of oh insane uh, it, it like it honestly makes or breaks their season yeah the do you know the actual figure yeah it, uh if you get for losing in the first round of qualies i think it's like 30 grand of qualies or main draw uh, uh, of main draw oh so if they win versus like if they lose in the last round of main draw they're probably getting like 10 grand maybe 15 yeah that's a massive difference uh but i and uh and then each year they've been bumping it up these these numbers. I remember it used to be like fifteen grand to lose in first round of main draw. Yeah. Now it's like thirty. If you get to like the second round or third, if you get to the third round, you're getting like a hundred k. That's nuts. Yeah. That's and crazy. You you really get like, you know, they're they're obviously not the headliner headlining names that you get from you know the main draw players. Yeah. But the quality of tennis and the emotion. And the intensity is just as high as all the other ones. Yeah. Because, like, even now, look at, like, uh, Shelton after getting to the quarters. That's of my Hubbard. man. That's my guy. Dude, 20 years old. Never left the country. Yeah. Flies to Australia. Gets to the quarters. First of all, he that's a seven-figure win. He I think he got, like, 950000 for getting to the quarters of Australian Open. What? And... Uh, and now he's ranked in the top hundred, and he's gonna have automatic bids into all the Grand Slams. Oh yeah, he's he's gonna be seated in a lot of the ATP two fifties and five hundreds. Like that one run is completely it's an, it's insane. Changes it, everything. Yeah, I think also just the fact that he's like a young American too. Mm-hmm. Like I know American tennis, it's been we had what McEnroe, Agassi, Sampras. Sampras. Like, we had all the legends, Shane and then it Poirier, took a big dip. Connors. Yeah. Like crazy, like Blake. like we were top the top guys, like the Americans, you yeah. know, and then now it's for the longest time it's always been the Europeans. So I think any chance that we get of like potentially having somebody who's like extremely talented and young and yeah. fit and is able to make runs at a young age, it's like it's like yeah, get that guy, like make yeah. sure like protect him at all costs, you know. One, but no, I love his game. One thing though, whenever you have like these like you know breakouts everybody was saying this about like alcaraz for example when yeah. he won us open They're like oh he's gonna be the ne- next big thing they said the same thing about tt pass they said the same thing about zverev they said uh um you know a few other players the most important thing right now especially out of like any other time period is the the game has gotten so physical and it's getting very difficult to stay healthy throughout the season. Yeah. Like Alcaraz, he won it. The one US Open and he had to pull he he pushed himself to the limit where he has to take a few months off. Yeah. And it and one thing that's like really separated the big three from everybody else is the fact that, you know, they they stayed at it consistently they they were playing at a high level and they were able to stay at that high level. Look at you know, look at a guy like Djokovic. He's even when he's injured, like he's still playing at a high level, he's he dropped one set, one set. That's so that's ridiculous, man. Yeah. Even Del Potro, look at a guy like Del Potro. He won the U.S. Open when he was 19 years old. Did he really? And I didn't know he was 19. He he, he was 19, wow. and after that, he was just riddled with wrist surgery, knee surgery, other wrist surgery. 
that he just wasn't able to stay healthy. And like, he honestly could have been also one of the greats. Yeah. And like, would have completely changed the landscape of tennis of how we know it right now. He had that potential, but he couldn't stay healthy, whether it was his fault or, or, or external factors. And looking at these guys who are trying to break out, you know, good for Shelton. And I want to see him succeed. I want to see all of these guys succeed. But it's so much more important now because it's gotten so physical than, it, than it's been before. The athletes are getting faster, stronger, and it's becoming much, much, much more physical. It's so important to stay healthy yeah no i couldn't agree more even for me like whenever my favorite player has to pull out because of an injury i'm like dude like it's so annoying and even for me as a weekend warrior i can attest to it because mind you i play 0.05 percent the amount of tennis they play and i get injured but it's like it's so annoying dude like i played one i played a tournament this weekend had a banger match um for the first round second round i was completely done and i did i thought i did everything right i like I freaking stretched for like an hour, foam rolled, massage gun, got good sleep. Next day, I took like a nice bath and like stretched again. Like I did so so much that I could. I even took like um, I took like a leave for inflammation. I did everything. I got on the court and everything fucking hurt. And I'm like, I don't understand how these pro players do it. I don't understand how the big three have done it for so consistently. I don't know how Djokovic just did it. And like, I feel like tennis players they. They can like praise pro tennis players more than the average person just because they understand like how much pain and suffering these guys are actually going through and how they're able to either manage it or get rid of it. It's crazy. I would say like tennis is split into kind of like three sections. You have the mental game, you have the on court game, and then you have the off court game. And spend putting in the off court game is spending the hours in the gym, getting stronger because these things also prevent the injuries. Mm-hmm. Going to the gym and, and feeling stronger also gives you like so much more confidence stepping on court. Agreed. And it's even more important as you get older. As much as you want to stretch and take a nice bath and 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 a leave, taking a leave before a match takes consistency, discipline, patience. Everybody wants things now. Yeah. <laughs> doesn't work like that unfortunately yeah it'd be nice imagine you just click a button and you're just like in shape damn yeah bionics <sighs> hopefully maybe in the future no i'm kidding you get no. rock you get a rocket powered knees so you could jump 10 feet high so you never people get people serving again. like 200 miles an hour dude like <laughs> oh man i do think that we're sort of capped at how fast everybody is serving, or do you think with technology, rackets, something, something's gonna change and serves gonna get faster. faster? You think so? Especially on the men's tour, because the balls are get, are getting hit much faster. At some point, like if somebody hits a good shot, there's literally nothing you can do about it. Yeah. And the the margins of the game are getting much finer, and more more tiebreakers were played in this last World Tour final than any other year. And then I looked at the same statistic. For the Australian Open, and the total amount of tiebreakers that are played in Australian Open this year, take a guess. Out of for uh, men's or women's or both? Uh, men's, men's. Tiebreakers. Um. Okay. Well, there's what's around 128. Yeah. So 64 matches, then 32. Let's say I don't know, 120 matches. Probably 120 tiebreakers. Uh. Co- kind of close there there was i think like 85 tiebreakers yeah that's so absurd so 85 85 about 85 tiebreakers were played this australian open and then i just picked like a i picked a couple random years 
just I picked I think like 2010, uh, 2005, and uh, maybe like 2014 or something. Like literally just random. Yeah. The amount of tiebreakers I were played during those were averaging around 50. Yeah, that's nuts. And that's almost that's like a what 60 percent increase mm-hmm. in in the amount of tiebreakers that are being played, and that's just to like the balls are the balls are being hit quicker is people are holding much more often um i would even say like probably the average serve speed of you know across the entire tour has definitely gone up yeah i feel like maybe i'm wrong but i feel like i used to be baffled when somebody would hit 130 i was like oh my god and i feel like now most people could hit 130 yeah it's like wait you can't hit 130 yeah like you know but i I don't know maybe that maybe that's just my own perception of things but you know i was thinking about that because just even watching old footage from you know the 80s or 90s on youtube yeah and then watching it like today it's like i want to know what it's going to look like 30 years from now you know like how is it going to progress you know even on the junior side there's a few students that i teach and i take them to tournaments once in a while yeah i went to like a 12s tournament and the kids i was like shit this would have been like 16s back in my day like they're the kids are getting bigger they're hitting the ball huge and i'm like you're 12 yeah (laughs) you're in middle school (laughs) yeah it's wild how and this is the next generation that's gonna you know carry carry us forward yeah and if i can make a comment on that i know a lot of people are sad that the big three is like dissipating you know we lost roger nadal is looking iffy joker's obviously doing still doing his thing but um i like that like i'm grateful that i got to live during the big three and you know obviously i don't think it's ever gonna happen again but I am excited to see a new time where you just don't know who's going to win. Yeah. Like, I loved that the Australian Open had Joker, um, who was a Joker, Kachinov. Don't tell me. Joker, Kachinov, Sissy Pass, and Tommy Paul, yep. right? In the semis. Like, that's so awesome to me. Like, looking at the draw, like, I think Sissy Pass and Djokovic, maybe you could say that they were going to make the semis. But the other two, like, no chance. Like, mm-hmm. I thought they were going to get taken away before. So I like that there's, like, more variety, you know? In a way, I was like, damn, like, I kind of – I wanted something to happen to Joker only because I'm like, I want somebody else to, like, win just to, like, yeah. you know, spice it up. So I do like that you were saying, like, a new era is coming where we don't really know yeah. who's going to succeed. So, And I would even say the records the big three have set are never going to be never. broken. I feel like even Alcaraz, right? Like, there's just so many players out there that – that can take him if he has an off day and somebody has a good day. Whereas like before with Fed and Nadal and Joker, when they were in their primes and, you know, obviously you could say Joker's still in his prime or, you know, playing like he is. I remember being a kid watching Grand Slams and like Fed Nadal's on TV and you're just like, yeah, there's no way he loses right now. There's just no way, you know. There is, I saw another stat for 18, uh, I think it was 18 straight years one of the big three have been in the finals of a grand slam <laughs> or uh no 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 sorry in the semis in the semis that is so 18 nuts. straight years one of them has been in the semis of every grand slam that's insane and, and i don't doubt it man they were just so dominant I, I don't like i don't think anyone will ever touch that record but i feel like if we look at other sports like lebron just broke some crazy record i think he's passing kareem in all time i I bet you like when kareem said that they're like yeah no way no anyone's touching that you know and then you know it winds up happening so i think if it does happen 
obviously it would take a long time. You know, you'd have to win 18, you know, mm. Grand Slams, 19, 20, just to even be in the conversation. But, yeah, I don't know, man. It's a lot to ask. Yeah, and with the game, be, like, switching over to, like, f- finer margins, some things are just out of your control. Like, back when things were slower, you had a little bit more control over, you know, what what was going on. True. You know, all it takes is just, like, guys like Kyrgios, Berrettini, Hatchinov, Tsitsipas, Zverev, like, these bigger guys, like, they could just blow you off the court. Like, they, they, yeah. if they're having a good serving game, serving day, like, and, you're, and you have a Medvedev, I uh, want to include in there. The competition is just so tough right now, and to set yourself apart the way they did is like basically impossible. Yeah. I don't want to say impossible because we always think something's impossible, and then we do it. Exactly. Um, but it is looking really unlikely. <laughs> yeah. Like I, I don't think it's gonna be possible, at least in this given moment. But who knows? Have Have you ever clocked your serve? When I was a little kid, yeah, but not recently. Have you? Uh, I clocked my serve at 132 uh, yeah i don't doubt it you served 20 bombs yeah and 20 it was a few years ago as well so it's probably i would say i could probably crank it up a few more miles per hour really um it was like maybe 2018 2019 what did you use to um, like record the the speed uh like a speed gun oh okay so nice. I, I tried it i tried it on two there's like the speed gun where you point it and yeah. then there's this other one where it's like a box and you set it on the court and uh, it has like sensors that it yeah. yeah, I was able to track it, but that one was a little bit less accurate. So on that one is what I I hit uh, 132, mm-hmm. uh, and then on the with the speed gun is a little bit more. I hit uh, 128. Dude, that's nuts. Yeah. How tall are you? Six three. Damn, that's yeah. crazy, man. I know. I remember when you were playing Mikey. I was like, damn. I wait. I'm glad I'm not on the court having to receive that serve right now. It's tough, man. Yeah. It's always so fun whenever I teach. Uh, I don't. I don't teach too often anymore now, just because I'm. Uh, I'm busy, but I. I and I also, I, I lost some interest because I don't like teaching people who are just out there to have fun. Yeah, I'm, I'm too passionate to be a human ball machine. Right. For an hour, so I kind of. That was honestly, that's most of teaching. Yeah. If you want it to be like, like profitable, you know, yeah. like a, as a lifestyle. Uh, you you need to do a lot of those lessons so i, I kind of stop but uh my favorite thing is like whenever i'm, I'm teaching kids and we're like we're, we're practicing serves you know i take the, i let them hit most of the serves and then just like for fun i'll just throw in like two or three like big ones and they always like look at me and they're like what and <laughs> it's the funniest it's the funniest thing and there are a few times where i like i almost smacked a kid in the face no. because he couldn't react to it quick enough Oh my and God. like if it hit them in like the, in the eye or in the any if it just hit them in general yeah like I'm I'm gonna get in trouble dude that's so like, crazy at that point I usually just try to like I'll just do like a kick serve out wide ace they move over to the alley then I go down the tee down and the tee, move yeah. down and I just kind of like play with them that way did you ever teach um yeah here and there I actually will sometimes even help my dad right now if he uh because you know what I love playing tennis and i'm on that come up and i'm actually i'm like trying to get better and i think like getting better as you get older is harder like trying to actually like raise your level um so anytime like if he ever needs me to like help just hit with somebody it's like free reps you know why not so mm-hmm. i have been doing that a bit but other than that i don't really have too much to give <laughs> i'm still on the come up man i want to i would love to play like at a 5-0 level mm-hmm. i'm at like a 
for New York, I'm at like a low four or five. Mm-hmm. If we're like talking about the rest of the country, besides like what, like Cali, Florida, and New York, like I feel like everything's like skewed. So if it's like four or five, it's like five zero elsewhere. Mm-hmm. You know, I see like a very noticeable raise in in the, in the level of your yeah. game. Thank you, man. You've gotten more grit to your game. It's not so and much about like nice technique. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yes. That was my biggest problem. But I think. If you remember earlier, I was saying when I was a kid, like, that was the ongoing joke. Like, I just hit everything as hard as I could. And for whatever reason, as a kid, like, it worked to a certain degree. Mm-hmm. But now it just doesn't. So I've really had to learn how to, like, you know, yeah, basically become more consistent. Because my game has always been big. Like, I like hitting hard. I like ending the points quick. But you just can't do that all the time. Mm-hmm. And it took me a long time to learn that, you know. Yeah. And that's exactly that grit I'm talking about, like being able to just slow down the ball and just get it back it doesn't need to be good just get it back just get it back and have the person play another one you're you're on the right path yeah thank you man hit the gym a little bit and you. i have downstairs i finally got it set up that was a big thing because i like working out here um and i finally got a whole thing set up down there so i've been i've been lifting the weights again feels good man there's one last question i want to ask you before we wrap this up let's do it if you could slap one player in the face would it be who would i slap listen i'll preface it with this i'm not really a violent or physical guy like i've actually never even gotten in a fist fight before how about this i'll answer it who do i like hate watching and really don't like when they make moves in the tournament it's probably man arena man arena i can't stand the way he plays bro and it's effective and it works and i respect that he's a pro tennis player like obviously doing something right but just like the lefty like the you know everything like no big ground strokes it's like that's not my favorite thing to watch what about you uh if i could slap one player probably gasquet really yeah i don't like gasquet the fucking one hand backhand phenom he is here's the thing the only re- you're talking to a ball boy and so it's heavily based on that oh he was the worst fucking guy to ball Yo, boy for i saw a stat not a stat it was uh something on reddit uh some guy did like an ama and he was like oh like i'm a ball boy for the miami open like ask me anything and he said that French players are always the worst people to ball boy for. And yeah. you just mentioned Gasquet. That's so funny because he said that Manorino and Monfils were super rude to him. Mm-hmm. And now you're saying Gasquet. I wonder why that is. They're just stuck up. They think they're better than everybody Wait, what, else. Wait, what happened with Gasquet? Um, it was, he had this thing where every time he won the point, he wanted the ball back. So the ball would be like on the other side and he wouldn't start the point until he got that ball. He was like, a, he was a jerk with the towel. So mm. like. I would give them the first of all. Normally, you open the the towel uh, for them, and they just you know they take their hand and they wipe it. He wanted his specifically in a ball, so you just I, I would just like you you have to ball if you give him <laughs> the towel like this, he'll ball it up and then wipe himself. Really? And then so like you give and so the the player spends like a few seconds like doing that. So you give him the towel, you tell the your your the the person to like throw you the balls. Yeah. And then, and then you know you trade towel for balls. Or there's like a few times where he would, he would do that, and he would just like chuck the towel on the floor. What? So like while I was doing that, he just like throw on the floor and like make and you pick it up. Yeah, yeah. And I I just didn't enjoy ball bowling for him. And then I even had a friend who ran into him on a he ran into him on, on the streets. Yeah. In like near like Times Square, like in in the city during the U.S. Open, he was just walking around, and my friend comes up to him. He's like, "Oh, can I get a picture?" First of all, he said no, and then he tell <laughs> and he told him to go leave him alone. So I'm like damn so i was like wow what a shitty like, <laughs> you have a fan coming up to you and 
is like just doesn't no. give a shit. Damn. My favorite people to ball boy for were uh, Japanese players. They were so, so respectful. Nice. Yes. Yeah. There's this one guy, uh, Moria. I think he was, I think, like second seed in the qualities at the time. Every single time I gave him the towel, he would say thank you. That's awesome. For the entire match. Oh, All right. Man. Well, thank you, Zane, for taking the time. Yeah, man. Uh, hopping out on the pod. I had a, I had a blast shooting this. Yes, sir. My Di- pleasure. Dissecting your brain, learning from your experiences. You're a successful DJ. And I couldn't find anything online about your tennis career. Yeah. And so I think uh, I think your fans will also enjoy learning about uh, you know that side of you as well because yeah. it's been so uh, rooted in in your uh, upbringing. Any last words that you want to tell the audience? I need a one-hander to make moves on the tour that's not sissy pass, and uh, and it was fun doing this, man. That's it. All right. On, uh, on the count of three, we're going to say uh, stay tipsy. All right. Ready? Yeah. <clears throat> One, two, three. Stay, stay tipsy. tipsy. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Tipsy Tennis Podcast featuring Rios. You guys got to check out my man. He's got banger after banger. Check this guy out on social media as well. He's got a great YouTube channel where he shows what it's like in the studio with him. The music in the intro and the outro are both original mixes by Rios. Please show your support by following me on Instagram at Tipsy Tennis Podcast and on YouTube as well. And of course, share it with any friends you may think would be interested in this as well. I haven't been most active, but I have a lot of stuff in store for you guys. So please check in. I have great interviews coming up and I have a lot of content and clips coming up. But till next time, my friends, stay tipsy.